Welcome to Doctrine and Devotion, a podcast that explores Christian faith and practice from a Reformed Baptist perspective. My name is Joe Thorne. I'm the lead pastor of Redeemer Fellowship in St. Charles, Illinois. And uh, today, we're excited to have back on the podcast Pastor Steve Meister. Uh, Pastor Steve is a a preaching pastor at uh, Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sacramento, California, where it is like 116 degrees or something. That's right. We're (laughs) cooking on the surface of the sun out here. Man, I always like visiting California, but uh, man, I, I don't think I'd want to be visiting on a day like today. Yeah, it's pretty rare, but uh, this is for our sins out here in California. Is that what it is? Cooking. Okay. Yeah. So what about what about like up in Minnesota, like when they get really cold? Is that the same thing? Probably. Okay. Probably. All right. So, yeah. so Illinois, we've, we've got less sin than both of you, I think, then, because we're just kind of... <laughs> well, yeah. Don't you have like nine months of winter though? We do, we do. It is, um, it is like some. It, we we have a we have a hot summer for about a month. It's it's hot, and then uh, and then a long. We have short fall, short spring, and a long winter. It's not so great. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. one of the. Th- I like the I like the changing of the seasons. I can appreciate that, but uh, yeah, this week is actually pretty nice here. So. You know, September tends to mellow out a bit, but who knows? I mean, we could literally, it could jump back up to 98, uh, this, you know, in this month, or it could get really cold and rainy. So we play it by ear. Nice. Nice. Yep. Yep. Well, remember us and why you enjoy it out here. Oh man. Yeah. We're, uh, I'm chilling. My, my window's open. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty nice. I know you don't have that luxury. Goodness. Not with that heat. So what's, uh, what's going on out there, man? You guys have a, you have the gospel conference coming up, right? Yeah, it's coming up this week, um, this weekend, coming weekend, and uh, Dr. Ian Hamilton arrives tomorrow, actually, uh, from Scotland, so we're thankful to have him with us. He's going to be speaking on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's going to do a a pre-conference workshop for the fraternal that we host of regional pastors and churches on uh, the Reformed ministry, and he has some great material that he's uh, distributed through Ligonier, and everybody who comes to our conference is going to get a free copy of that. So we're really looking forward to uh, uh, a... in a good weekend edifying time our volunteers are ramping up so it's a it's a it's a fun time for us it's coming up that sounds awesome man yeah i, I love those scottish presbyterians um the all, all of the interactions that i've had with them personally as well as you know reading them um man i just you know i was uh I, i've shared it before but um i was I, w- I was able to preach with a number of them or a few of them uh, at a conference a couple of years ago and uh, at the philadelphia conference of reformed theology so it was me yeah and then some Scottish Presbyterians and uh, but they were they were super earnest and super gracious they were yeah. theological beasts but they were humble like I just had a I had a great time it was a totally different experience than uh, than some of the other conferences I've made my way to uh, I really enjoyed it so that sounds really good man is that gonna be available are yeah. people gonna be able to listen to that after the fact yeah, we, our conferences are, all go up online on the website, sacramentogospelconference.com. In fact, last year we had uh, Carl Truman, who did four sessions related to his book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, nice. which is, if you find that book too deep or, or, or too much to wade through, that's a great introduction to it. He does it in four talks and really gives you the, the meat of the matter. And uh, so all that stuff, Lord willing, will go up um, you know, on the website eventually, yeah. 
Great, great. Yeah, so we'll make sure to link to everything we can uh, here. And if people want to show up, if they want to register, uh, they can still do that, right? Because it's what, what day does this happen on? It's uh, the pre-conference for pastors is Friday, and then it's Saturday the 10th. And right. yep, we still have spots available. You can register. People can register at the door. Um, it's sacramentogospelconference.com is a website. Cool. All right. So this is dropping on a Thursday. So you guys still have a little bit of time, maybe, but don't waste don't waste the opportunity if you're in the area, man. Hit that up. I know I'd be there. Yeah, definitely. Sounds great. So, man, you and I were chatting uh, recently about a bunch of things. And, um, and one of the things that we thought would be good to explore would be to to discuss the the idea of preaching and the word of god and maybe more precisely preaching as the word of god um this sounds i'm sure to some people to say the preaching of the word of god is the word of god sounds strange to some people i'm sure some of our listeners would be like what does that mean and i and i know that even some of them will say like that'll trigger some concerns right like whoa 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 whoa, whoa. like uh that sounds like the the charismatic end of things where uh the preacher has the mantle and you don't dare you know disagree or abusive pastors right who use their position to bully and manipulate people but uh but we 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 in the reform tradition we we embrace this idea of the preaching of the word as the word. So maybe we could just start with however you want to un- want start un- unpacking this, this concept uh, in simplest of terms. Yeah, for sure. Um, of course, you know, in the reformed tradition, when we talk about something like this and it, it starts to raise alarm bells, uh, we always want to start well, we distinguish. And when we say preaching of the word of God is the word of God, we actually mean the word of God in two different senses in that sentence. Um, maybe just for some background where that statement comes from, from the second Helvetic confession right. that was written by Heinrich Bullinger in the 1560s. He actually wrote it as an, which I find fascinating. He wrote it as a private addendum to his last will and Testament. Oh, I didn't and know then that. when, uh, yeah, when Frederick the third got into a scrape with the piece of Oxford, um, he sent it to him. Frederick really liked it, translated into German and away it went. And it became widely affirmed in mm-hmm. among the continental reformed groups in the late 16th century into the 17th century. Um, but his first chapter, what it's probably most known for, even though really there's a ton of great stuff in it, what it's most known for is the paragraph in the first chapter where there was a marginal note that was summarized it as the preaching of the word of God is the word of God. We're not really sure that Bullinger himself actually wrote that, but it was an early marginal note that eventually became a heading. And the short basic distinction we want to make there is and what's being said is that the first, the subject, the word of God is referring to what we typically mean when we hear the word, word of God, which is scripture, the normative, absolute word of God, um, what we would understand. But when he says the preaching of scripture, the preaching of the word, normative word of God is the word of God, that second use of the word of God is referring to God's word or voice uh, instrumentally, that it is the means by which he mediates his living voice to the church. So if we were going to approach it from a question, um, how do we hear God today? Uh, How does he come to us? And in this paragraph, Bollinger is actually walking a very biblical, I believe, and and fine line uh, between the overbearing authority of Roman Catholicism and the sacramental mediatorial authority that were given to the priest, also against the radical reformers 
that we would, you just mentioned that we would find contemporary counterparts in the charismatic movement that emphasize personal immediate revelations right. of the spirit. And so he's actually trying to say, no, we find the voice of God today in the preaching of the word of God in the church. Okay. And, and I think that that's, that's clear enough for people to, I think that should be clear enough in my estimation for people to go, okay, I understand what we're saying, but why, why is this even important? Like what, what are the stakes here? What are we risking by not understanding and embracing this? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, well, I, I'm, I'm tempted to say, look around us. Um, and it's always, and listen, that's not, fair. That, <laughs> that's fair. I mean, it's not the whole story, you know, but uh, yeah. yeah, that's good. Yeah, it, it's an issue because of our tendency, and we've seen it widespread, and we could point to many phenomenon, the tendency to degrade and disregard the significance of the gathering of the church, uh, as well as the significance of the teaching authority of the church, particularly in her duly appointed ministers mm. and preachers or pastors, and that that means something. And in the last several decades, certainly, really, we, we probably go all the way back into the um, really even beginning of American uh, projects, certainly Second Great Awakening, and the tendency to degrade uh, duly appointed uh, preachers and ministers and the gathering of the church. Um, but we certainly see that all around us, um, and, and not the least of which on the heels of the whole 2020 COVID deal and the growth of virtual church, the disregarding of the church and its preaching. Um, the question is, has God promise anything particular does he own in any particular special way the preaching of his word in the church does this mean something mm. and to us we're addressing this we're, we're taking these old answers as it were or these discoveries of scripture and we're addressing um new questions in the 16th century when bollinger and the reformers were promoting these uh these truths they were dealing with the errant understanding of the gathering of the church by Roman Catholicism right. in particular, the idea that God is present via the sacramental system, that the priest's primary role is uh, sacramental or sacerdotal in um, giving grace through that means. Um, and so he's answering that question, no, but God is present, but it's through his word. And it's through the preaching and the faithful expounding of his word to the faithful. And so we have that same truth, but we're now answering sort of different questions. We're right. dealing with post-enlightenment individualism, yep. modern populism, uh, the idea I have me and my Bible. Why would I ever need the church? Um, private illumination and these kinds of errant understandings that there is distinct promises and there's really significant passages even of Scripture where the Lord Jesus promises to be with his church by his spirit and to be present with us. And so we should be expectant of that and anticipated, anticipating that. And so we're sort of need to recover this old truth yeah. for new questions and new problems. That's good because, yeah, there definitely are new reasons that this doctrine has to be recovered by, by, by many and, and highlighted by those who hold to it and without apology. Right. I know like we, yeah. we, we, I think we need to be, in my case, I feel like I need to be gentle in the explanation and unpacking of certain doctrines with people that are, have just maybe been chewed up by a, a previous spiritual leader or church or whatever. And so like, I want to unpack it. I'm not going to apologize, but I find that I do need to like take my time to help people understand, you know, whether it's, the decrees of God 
you know, or something like this, because I want them to ultimately embrace it. I don't just want them to hear me articulate something and know that I think I'm right. I want them to embrace this. And I think that with this doctrine, I think a lot of Christians will get close to it. And then there's, there's a bit of a hang up because in most Christians that I've known over the decades, healthy Christians who are a part of a church, they generally speaking, love their preachers. They really do. Like they love, they love their preachers. And even though we're exposed to all of the big guys on social media or whatever, they love their, their preachers and they're, and they, they, they heed those words and they understand that there is something spiritually profound happening when the word is preached. They get yeah. that stuff. And then, so I, I think that there's enough, I mean, the spirit is at work through the ministry of the word. And so it's happening, uh, even if they haven't, you know, things haven't crystallized in their minds as, in terms of how this works. But then when we start to talk about the authority of the preacher, the authority of the word preached, um, the authority yeah. of the minister, that word, that word seems to be a hang up for a lot of people today. And again, listen, I've, I, I say it this way, like, uh, and Jimmy makes fun of me all the time on the podcast. Like, I don't like people telling me what to do. Don't just, like, if, and, unless you've got authority to do so, right? I, right. you know, before I was a Christian, I refused to submit to any authority except my dad, because he probably would have boxed my eyes. But, um, but I just, I, I was, would never bend the knee. And the first time I was ever consciously submitting was when I became a Christian. And then after that point, it became like, okay, I understand there are people that I need to submit to who have authority. So I, I think that a lot of us are uncomfortable with the idea of authority because we see authority abused so much. And we know that leaders are fallible and, uh, you know, power corrupts and all of these things. So what do you say to people who say like, wow, I mean, I, I believe I love my preacher and I love that, you know, his, his ministry and everything, but like to say that he is an authority uh, in these matters trouble me because maybe I disagree with him. Maybe I think he's off. Not that he's an yeah. abusive guy, but like, how do we deal with it when we think our preachers are off? And is the preaching of the word of God still the word of God? Or what if they actually are wrong? Because we're going to get some stuff wrong. You're going to get some yeah. stuff wrong. I'm going to get some stuff wrong over the you know decades that we're preaching. <laughs> we'll go back right. and be like, ah, I, 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 I was wrong there. How do you, how do you yeah. answer that? Well, those are, that, that's a great question, brother, and I think an important issue. L let me just preface it by just agreeing with you. I, I hate abuse of authority. I, I mean, I loathe it. I, I'm an old punk rocker, and there's some of that still, you yeah, know, uh, hopefully sanctified rebellion uh, in there in terms of I can't stand bullying pastors, yeah. um, authoritarianism in the church. It is ugly. It is a shame on the bride of Christ, and it, it, it it's ter it's a terrible thing. So I'm fully there. And I think it's important, again, we want to make some careful distinctions. So to Bullinger did it in the Second Helvetic Confession. So that particular article, he gives a massive qualification by saying that preachers that are lawfully called, so that is they are submitted to the accountable governing authority of the church. Yeah. Now, as Baptists, we would understand that differently, of course, but um, we could just put in whatever your ecclesiastical mm -hmm. understanding is there. We are not discounting that or throwing that away. And also, he's very careful to say that what is regarded is the preaching and not the pastor. Mm. 
And he even makes a point at the end of the, that paragraph that even if he's evil or sinful, the word is still preached. So if, if you find out, if some, you know, scandal breaks forth, God forbid, from a pastor, um, that doesn't mean the true things that he said are now nullified. Right. Um, the word of God is the word of God. And so one distinction is probably helpful to remember is that scripture has magisterial authority. Mm-hmm. Um, it rules, it reigns, it norms us. Uh, whereas pastors have ministerial authority mm-hmm. and we are serving, that is the, the, the reigning authority of Christ through his word and by his spirit. And so we, when we talk about this concept, we're actually not elevating a man, right? Uh, we're elevating the word of God mm-hmm. and the means by which God would come to us and minister to us. And it is probably one of the most profound mysteries I've learned and discovered since becoming a preacher and a pastor myself, and that's most significantly shaped uh, my approach to ministry, is the idea that God is speaking through the ministry of his word. And it certainly is a mystery, even as you mentioned, because I've preached things now, I look back on, I think, well, that was, that was wrong. Uh, but God in his grace is able to draw straight lines with crooked sticks yeah. and with fallible men. And to the extent that we are faithfully expounding the word of God, to that extent, God is ministering his word to his people. And that's the word that we are to anticipate. That's where we're to seek God to speak to us and to come in faith, both as hearers and as preachers, that God is with us and that Christ in his spirit is going to shepherd his church through the ministry of his word. So we're not elevating a man. We're not we're definitely not going down the road of Romanism or other traditions right. that would put specific authority in a person. We're putting it in the word and that the minister and that word is not insignificant. That just means servant. The servant of that word is the one used by God, uh, but we're not elevating him. We're mm-hmm. elevating the word that he is serving us. All right. First of all, that was so good. So clearly articulate. I just beautiful. I started to panic like if this is not recording, I'm gonna be so upset. It's like so, I'm peeking over. Is it record? It is recording. All right, so I'm good. I'm sorry. I was so distracted for a second there. Such good words. Now maybe correct me if I'm wrong, and because uh, you know I don't always make great connections, but it it seems that like you know with with pastors falling, even pastors who have had good man. I've known some guys. Um, you know, Artazerdia was a guy up in the Northwest, great preacher. Um, I've been so encouraged by him personally and then through his ministry. And then, you know, he had a fall and um, stepped out of ministry. And when that sort of a thing happens, a guy that's solid, right? Preaching the word. A lot of people do struggle with this idea like, wow, look at what he he said, all of these things. But then he turned out to be a really fallen or frail or corrupt or whatever, right? Whatever, whatever the situation is. I'm not speaking of art in particular here. And then they, they're tempted to discount what was preached. And it's almost like it reminds me of Donatism in a sense, right? Like, uh, oh, that guy who baptized that person was off. And so it, the baptism doesn't yeah. count, right? So, And I think that's in part like why we see um, maybe, maybe that's why some of the uh, – the deconstruction that's going on uh, among people that have been really churched in evangelical churches. Uh, I, what I my my take is, is I've seen some of them, not all of them. Some of them is they saw a real failure at, a, at an ecclesiastical level, whether it's the church as a system locally or the preacher or whatever, that they 
now discount the whole because of corruption in a particular case, and then they pull away from it. So what you're saying, though, is that if we can recover like this understanding of the ministry of the word and the ministry of preaching, that that is a help to at least combat some of those some of those concerns or even false ideas. Yeah, absolutely. I think the first thing I would say too, brother, is that for those of us in office, especially as preachers, that this ought to sober us to the core that uh, to use Cal- borrow some of Calvin's language that God would condescend to take our tongues to be vehicles of his mm. uh, message to his people. And that definitely has implications for our personal holiness, our conduct in life. Um, so that ought to be something that sobers our character, welcomes accountability, humility, all of those things. Um, however, getting back to the unfortunate reality of pastoral failures, it it may be helpful just from the perspective of history and encourage people that it's been this way. It's, we see it in the new Testament. It was a massive problem in the reformation where you had the degraded idea of ministry for Roman Catholicism. I mean, you don't turn on a dime with that. Right. And so this was a massive issue for the reformers of how to help shepherd people when they're hearing true things from a bad guy mm-hmm. um, who's in their village or wherever in Germany. And he's, you know, a drunkard at, at, you know, on Wednesday and he's preaching on Sunday. Now that shouldn't be the norm and they shouldn't, you know, tolerate that. But um, these are the realities of, of life and of unfortunately how things often have been. And so it was a distinctive of the reformation and it's a biblical one that God has ordinarily designed to through his word minister to us and by his spirit in his word, regardless of the individual, the efficacy of God's saving and sanctifying work by his word is not in you or I as pastors. Right. It's not in any other man. It is in his word. And for that, we can take comfort and we can remember that, you know, as, as Luther said, you know, God spoke out of a donkey before and he's about to do it again, referring to himself, that even when the Lord speaks to us through who turn out to be moral donkeys, um, he's still spoken. And we can trust that truth insofar as it's faithful to the word of God. And obviously moral failure raised all kinds of questions about doctrine. And it's a time and examination for a church and or a communion. Um, But we are to have hope in this way. And it's also to give us hope also as pastors, you know, you're, you're a husband and a father like I am. You know those Sundays where you've just blown it Saturday as a father or, you know, gotten snappy with the kids or you and the wife or maybe not in sync as you should be and there's conflict and you're going to get up and preach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and remembering that God owns the preaching even when the preacher's failures and flaws, even though they're not morally scandalous, they're still yeah. ever present um, and is a great hope for us and a, and a bulwark for us to persevere and continue. It, it, the it's a real it's a real comfort right and it, it again it gets back to the gospel right that we are loved justified accepted adopted spirit filled used um all by grace and it's you know i i, I we are not the standard you know, i don't point to myself as the measure i preach beyond myself we preach beyond our abilities and I, if you're honest about that I have found that our people are actually strengthened by it, 
because you know when I confess, if we're whatever passage we're in, I'm always preaching that to myself before I'm going to preach it to the people. And so I've experienced conviction and encouragement from that passage personally before I'm offering it to anybody else. And that comes with it should anyways come with us into the pulpit. And when they sense that, like that, wow, this is good news for me, like as a preacher. And that's how I experientially know it's good news for you. I mean, doctrinally, I, I, I know this. Boy, that opens them up to really to really receive it. And I think it is a helpful way of, of working against the, the lifting up. Because what you talked about, like, you know, it's not a, a, an exaltation of the preacher. It's an exaltation of preaching. And, uh, but our tendency is in the church and in the world, we like to exalt people. We, we, we find, yeah. you know, we, we literally and metaphorically put people on our shoulders or we'll put them on a pedestal. We'll celebrate them. And there's a sense in which you can celebrate people and how God is using them, but it's easy to lose sight of the, of the fact that what's God at work or it's the God at through the word and the spirit at work, or it's God through this person at work. It's easy to sort of let, you know, the spirit be left invisible in all of this. And then when we do exalt these people and they fall, because we've put it all on them, it's easy for the rest of it all to fall away too. The doctrines all fall away because they've fallen and I've put my hope yeah. or my trust in a, at least in a implicitly in them more so than in the ministry of the word. But I, I was curious, like for preachers, this is an encouragement to us. It should humble us. Yeah. How have you ever seen it? Cause we, I mean, we, we've seen a version, uh, not a version of this, but we, we've, we've seen preachers who have been set up to be cult leaders in a sense where what they say goes, you know, I, I remember, and I'll go ahead and, 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 and say the name. I, I don't care. Um, if I can remember Stephen Furtick, um, uh, there, he, he famously had a coloring book. Did you see that back in the day? Yes. There was, there was a coloring book for kids at the church. And listen, yeah. I'm not I'm not anti-coloring book. I mean, maybe some of you might not like uh, depictions of Jesus to be colored in, Second Commandment violation, if that's your perspective. But whatever. Um, he was he was featured prominently in the coloring book, and it was all about how the people follow his vision. Mm-hmm. And and I'm I'm an advocate for casting vision for a church, right? So long as that vision is biblically derived, clarified, it, the vision of for the church should be the preaching of the word, right? Repetitively, that's you know, yeah, sort of held up. So I'm okay with that, but boy, it really was. And uh, there's a temptation with that case, and and then many others, and it it's a temptation I think for all of us. How do we guard against this tendency to confuse? the authority of the word preached with an authority of a preacher that we give to them. Like how, how do we as, as pastors like fight that temptation? Because people do love their pastors and preachers. They do. And that's so like they will in a sense kind of lift you up. Right. And hopefully not too much. And hopefully you have enough real people around you to really make sure that it's not going anywhere that it shouldn't. But how do we fight against it? And then what would you say to congregations who, who are, are, who seem to be, or congregations or, or even just church structures that are, are lifting up these men? What exhortation do you have for them? Well, I think brother, these are important questions. I think you've started in the right place because it does start with us in office 
we are going to have to follow the model of the Apostle Paul in Second Corinthians that he was afraid people thought too much of him. Yeah. Um, we're often go around, and, and, and I know in the frailty of my own heart, I go around being concerned people might think too little of me. Uh, but the calling of ministry is that being afraid that someone might think too much of you. And that was Paul's concern, and that ought to be ours. Uh, as John the Baptist said, he must increase, we must decrease. And so we're going to be, if we're at all faithful and caring and sincere, people are going to appreciate us. Now, ordinarily, that's that's great. And sometimes you really need the encouragement, yeah. we know. Um, however, we have to be very cautious that that is not, we have to be very aware and alert, whether that is growing to an inordinate degree. And be um, look for ways to um, continue to lower yourself in the estimations of people. Um, I think practically, too, in terms of polity, that's where a plurality of yeah. eldership matters immensely. Uh, one of the ways we try to do it at our church is we um, try to not over-elevate any individual brother, myself and my fellow pastor, Robert Briggs, the two preaching pastors, um, but we try to not be elevated in the way people speak to us, even in our services. Right. We make sure our non-vocational elders are referred to as pastor so-and-so, yep. so that their proper office is regarded. So I do think there's simple, practical ways that we can do that. I think in our own hearts, though, again, I think it ought to chasten us that if we see from Scripture that preaching is God's means of speaking to his people, that ought to chasten what we're doing when we get into that pulpit. Right. And that ought to certainly eliminate 10-minute personal stories where you're the hero out of your sermon. Yeah. That ought to eliminate inane uh, rabbit trails, uh, uh, unnecessary humor, um, all these kinds of things that are effectively drawing attention to yourself. And look, we all know when it's happening and we all know when we've done it. Um, but the reality of God is about to address his people. The Lord Jesus is going to shepherd his church and he's going to do it as I start preaching his word. That ought to focus, chasten, and really give us a pointed clarity as to what we're doing when we're preaching. And it's not about us, it's about him and our faithfulness to him. So I think it really begins in our hearts at that level. I think in a congregation, of course, I mean, when you think, ask the question about how's a congregation to, best to help this, I'm gonna answer it as a Baptist. And so I'm going to say, well, I think this is where the importance of our congregational polity comes into play, that we have an elder-led congregationalism versus an elder-ruled uh, structure, that the congregation has a voice. And that doesn't mean that you're voting on you know, every change sure. in carpet color and those things. That means we're talking about primarily the doctrine and the officers of the church and the membership and discipline are subject ultimately to the church's authority. In ordinary matters, a church ought to trust her pastors. That's why we're in the role we're in, and we've right. been evaluated in our character and our conduct. Um, but we do have that accountability subject to the adjudication of the congregation as a whole. And, and again, not to get on a rabbit trail, this is where confessionalism matters and where there's an accountability of doctrine that is outside um, the individual preacher that you're submitting to 
not just congregationally, but in a historic confession, you're submitting to uh, the witness and testimony of the church down through the ages. And inevitably, in my experience, when you have these examples of brothers that have been too highly elevated and then sometimes have unfortunately fallen, is there's a missing, all these elements are missing in terms of congregational authority, um, confessionalism or confessionalism properly held, um, and all of these other elements are are typically not in place. And and inevitably, um, there's a, a problem that ensues. So let me ask you a, a related question, and maybe we can sort of start to wrap it up with this, okay? Um, when someone in the church is listening to their pastor, listening to you, or someone in my church is listening to me, and they disagree, they think like, wow, I think they're wrong here. How should they handle it? Should they just, well, he's he's the authority, or the word of God is the authority, he's preached it, so I just need to accept it or is there a way in which they can actually talk to their pastor about it how should they how should they process through well i i'm I'm disagreeing with how my with what my preacher what my pastor just said about this passage yeah great question um i hope uh, that i'm cultivating enough of an approachability uh with the congregation that you'll just come tell me I didn't. Now, hopefully it's done with respect and humility and love. And if it isn't, hopefully I have enough grace to overlook that and, and just proceed anyway. Um, but just come at, at, at some level and ask, I didn't understand that. Help me understand you said this from this passage or this doctrine you explained. I've not heard before. I don't understand. And I, I just have to say uh, that happens all the time. It happens in a sweetness and love and humility. It's a great privilege to pastor the church I pastor, Emmanuel Baptist here in California. So um, that's just normal. And I, I hope that's normal in other churches. If it's not, I, I think there's issues that need to be addressed yeah. in both the eldership and pastors, as well as maybe in the culture of the church. But I think see it as an opportunity for further discipleship and also an opportunity for me to be corrected. Uh, uh, and perhaps there's someone even unlettered and untaught, a, sure. a lay Christian who's going to correct us and even raise things that are not properly qualified. And I know, I know I've had that happen a lot where someone will say, hey, Pastor Steve, you said this in the pulpit, but what about X, Y, Z? And it wasn't that what I said was necessarily wrong. It's just that, you know what, I probably could have dropped one or two qualifications in there sure. to make that clearer. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm learning then as a, as a preacher about how to properly minister the word. Um, but I think there's absolutely nothing wrong and it should be encouraged it should be normal to have this kind of conversation because we're both submitting to the word i'm submitting in the right sense and sitting under my own preaching because i'm sitting under the word of christ and so there should be no threatening there's no danger uh to my person or authority or anything um to ask me questions have have me clarify um learn more Mm. and wonderful opportunities of discipleship and teaching can come from that um, I think that is the proper sense when it's done with a joyful reception. Right. That's the proper sense of what it means to be a good Berean. I mean, sometimes, you know, guys, well, I'm just trying to be a good Berean and they're cantankerous and they're skeptical of anything you'd say. That's not what the Bereans were doing. Right. The Bereans were noble minded because the Bible says in Acts 17, they received the word with joy. Yeah. So we have this joyful expectation for Christ to speak to us. Um, but then also examining the scriptures to see that 
this is so, and we should be doing that together. Yeah, there's like there's the, the, those two parts, right? The you know if if I'm going to approach a a pastor, and I have in back in the day, I did, and um, because I've always really respected my pastors, I've never gone after them, even when I disagreed. In one church, I ultimately decided to uh, remove myself and go to a different church because we were just on too many. Too, too different of a page doctrinally. And, and so I, you know, I talked to them and I moved on, but it was never hostile. But yeah, you are going to get the people that are, you know, occasionally you'll get somebody who's arrogant or dismissive. Um, I've typically experienced that visiting at a church somewhere and I'll get somebody, you know, well, actually, you know, and I'll get a little bit of that. Most of the time, yeah. uh, most of the time, especially at Redeemer, like, um, like at Emmanuel, uh, people either have questions or they're just saying like, Hey, listen, I take this a different way. Can we talk about it? And we talk about it. Mm -hmm. But I think regardless of how they approach you as a pastor, your job is to shepherd in that moment. Like you've got to see this as if you're defensive and dismissive, you are not shepherding, right? You're actually damaging the sheep by being dismissive of them because a, if they are wrong, you're not helping them at this point and they might go further down the wrong path. And if they're right, you're not going to be corrected. So like you've got to shepherd those people. All of those are opportunities to like, okay, how do I help them? Don't worry about yourself. How can I help them in this situation? That's one of the principles that I go by. And I just wanted to echo something that you said. Um, Some of the most insightful applications and cross-references to my messages have been brought to me by people that are not in ministry. They're just faithful saints. And they're like, man, you were saying this and this came to mind. And I'm like, holy cow, that would make my sermon so much better. (laughs) I wish I wish I would have talked to you before because that is awesome. And uh, that's the beauty of 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 the word of God, that the the, it is. Understandable, it's perspicuous, right? And it's the gospel can be understood. And if you can read the word, God can teach you and bring so much to mind. And if you have the benefit of sitting under preaching and reading over years and years, then like all of that really begins to bear fruit. Um, so I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful when people come up to me, I get texts and stuff and people like want to you know, discuss things. And I usually tell them if it's a text, like that's a conversation, let's set up a, let's set up a time to talk. Cause yeah, I, I'm yeah, not yeah. going to text a, you know, 1500 word response to this. Um, yeah, but I dig it, man. Well, th- thanks for thanks for coming on. Yeah. This is really helpful. What what is something that people can read? Are, or is there a particular book or an article that you'd like to have people check out if they want to get into this idea of preaching the word as the word? Yeah, there's some good stuff available. Some of it's in journal articles. So if you are going to read one thing, I would probably recommend Greg Scharf's article in Trinity Journal was Bullinger Wright, and he also has written a book. And now the names escape me. Uh, Let the Earth Hear His Voice. Uh, but he's a pastor of, or excuse me, a professor of pastoral theology at Trinity Seminary, okay. Greg Scharf. Uh, his stuff is really good. He's thought through this exegetically, biblically, gives some very helpful things to see it grounded in the scriptures themselves. Uh, Ronald Baines, the late Ronald Baines, wrote an excellent article in the Journal for Reformed Baptist Studies in 2015 on the preaching of the Word of God is the Word of God. And um, Cornelius Venema, in his book on By His Word and Spirit, has a couple really good chapters on not just this in the Second Helvetic Confession, but how we see this reflected in the Westminster tradition. And we would see it in the Second London, chapter 14, paragraph one, about how faith is ordinarily wrought mm-hmm. by the ministry of the word. 
we see it in the Baptist Catechism and questions 94, 95, about especially the preaching. And so there's helpful things there. And uh, um, good books on preaching often cover this, um, but those would be some at, at least initial uh, resources that get you going down the path. Okay, cool. That's really helpful. That's really helpful, man. So if, uh, if people want to sign up uh, for the conference, they just go to, what's the, what's the URL again? We'll have it linked up, but what is it? sacramentogospelconference.com or if you just go to ibcsac.org we'll have it there or if you want to find me on Twitter I'm going to be posting about it awesome awesome well uh, be sure and follow uh, Pastor Steve Meister online we'll have all of his social linked for you guys that want to check that out and engage him Uh, for those of you that are listening thanks for thanks for tuning in we really appreciate it Uh, if you like what you hear and you want to listen more uh, subscribe subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast player Uh, we have episodes that drop every Monday and Thursday and if you want to support the podcast and you want to help us to do more and put on conferences you can subscribe to what we call all access all access gives you uh, five uh, reflections or meditations Monday through Friday. Right now, we are just doing devotional meditations through the Second London Confession. And uh, then every Tuesday, we drop the Banter of Truth podcast, where Jimmy and I just take a, a longer form to talk through issues and uh, and catch up and uh, and dive a little bit deeper into some things that maybe we don't cover on our Monday and Thursday episodes. Check us out at DoctrineAndDevotion.com for all the information or visit the Joe Faux store.com for gear. Thanks for listening, guys. Mm-hmm.